You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, that would be helpful to have that out and open on your lap um, so that you can follow along with us this morning. And while you're turning there, um, I want to catch you up on one bit of news that... uh, um, we want to, to make sure you know about and can really be praying about and asking for the Lord's help in this um, for our church family. Um, so we have two pieces of property. You know, that if, you know that if you've been around here for a while, if you haven't been around here for a while, that might be news to you. We have um, some land on Walnut Grove and, and 287 that we'll be building on. Uh, by God's grace here soon. We'll start construction probably in about another nine or 10 months from now. And then we have another piece of property that we originally bought back in 2012 on George Hopper and 14th, 12 acres right there across from uh, Frank Sill Junior High. And uh, over the last year, we have had multiple people express interest in that property and even get to the point of submitting contracts that we agreed to. And if you're in the commercial real estate world, you know that a lot of times there's just a lot of distance between we want it to them actually being able to like do everything they would want to do on it and actually follow through and purchasing it. And so those never really got off the ground. Within a month or so, those all kind of dissolved and, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Now, um, rewind about two months ago to the beginning of the summer, and we had another person approach us that, uh, um, you know, we agreed to, uh, you know, all the terms for it, all of that. We got a contract on it. And now we're a couple of months into that and we feel that it is viable enough and the chances of it actually working out at this point are good enough to where we want you to know about this as a church family and really to begin praying for this as a church family, that this would go through and this would be a good deal for them, for us, for everyone involved. And kind of the kicker for that is in 2012, uh, well, let me just back up and say, if you've owned property and kind of real estate in this area over the last few years, you've kind of seen just the, the real estate market go in a really good direction. And so we bought that back in 2012, that 12 acres for $800,000. And we agreed to a price of 2.7 million for that 12 acres. Is that crazy? That, feel, that sounds crazy to me, even saying that, right? I mean, it's just another one of those moments of like, man, just God's grace just being dumped out upon our church family. And so, so first of all, I think there's just, a, a, you know, ought to be a willingness in all of us just to be able to celebrate that and just to think, that, to turn that moment into praise and thankfulness to God. And then also to pray for that. There's still some distance between that actually going through. The closing date is set for the end of the year. They have an option to extend that another month or two if they need to. So um, I just wanna, we wanna invite you into that so as a church family, we can begin praying that that would actually happen. It would uh, really smooth the way for a lot of just the future things over the next couple of years to, to have that go down now. And so be praying for that along with us, that that would close, you know, towards the end of this year, early uh, next year. So with that said, be praying for that. We want to talk about prayer this morning. So if you go back last week, we talked about the idea of running with Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12. This week, we're going to talk about praying with Jesus. Next week, being on mission with Jesus. So I want to talk to you this morning, and we want to just spend some time thinking through this morning, the idea of prayer in the scriptures. Now, just to introduce Colossians chapter four, uh, let me just say a couple of things about prayer. Let me just start with this and I wanna convince you of this. I'm praying that the Lord would convince you of this this morning. Prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. I'm gonna say that again. That prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. So you can just take a deep breath in 
Think about all that's happening with that breath. It's going into your lungs. It's transferred that oxygen then to your blood. Then that, that oxygen is kind of out to your extremities to keep your body alive. And we're saying that prayer, as it's important to your spiritual life, as that last breath that you just took was to your physical life. To state that a different way, we might could say it this way. Neglecting prayer as a child of God is spiritual suicide. It's that important that when we neglect it, we are cutting off our, our supply of oxygen. Prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. You know, when you think about what prayer is and what prayer does and what the function of prayer kind of, what, what it serves for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, prayer is one of the primary ways we know God. And don't you want to know God? But I really want to know God in ways that are deeper and, and bigger and brighter than, than I do now. I want to know God. And prayer is one of God's designated means to walk us into fellowship with God, a deeper, richer, vibrant relationship with God. Prayer is one of the ways that we know God. Prayer is deeply connected to our spiritual vitality. Just like oxygen into your, into your you know, bloodstream, then into your body is one of the ways that spurs on life and vibrancy to your body, so is prayer to our spiritual life. It's, it's one of the ways that a heart stays open and alive to the things of God. So much so that if all we knew was a person's prayer life, if that's the only thing we could see about them, we would have a really good idea of their spiritual vibrancy. Prayer and spiritual vibrancy are deeply connected. Not only is it one of the ways we know God, not only is it one of the things that, that creates spiritual vibrancy in the heart of a follower of Jesus, prayer is also one of the primary ways we fight against temptation. Isn't it a sobering thing to know that we're all one decision away from wrecking our life? I mean, isn't that humbling to know and sobering to know that in any one just moment, we could, we could ruin so much of our life. Now, God knows that about us and he knows that about the disciples. Jesus knew that about his disciples. Back in Mark 14, when he is praying in the garden and he invites Peter, James, and John in, and he says something to them that needs to be just burned into each of our souls, each of our hearts. He looks at them and says, watch and pray so that you do not enter temptation. For yes, your, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so, so weak. He's looking at them and he's saying, you're one moment away from wrecking everything. That is so possible in your life. So pray, watch. He's saying, watch, keep track of your heart. Grow in an understanding of your heart, where you're weak, where you're strong, where, where sin gets a foothold and seek to strangle sin in your heart. But he doesn't just say watch. He says, watch and pray. Pray has a unique role in fighting against temptation in our life because prayer has a unique role of keeping our hearts satisfied and content in Jesus. Prayer's meant for that. It's one of the greatest weapons against temptation. Prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. I love what the old Puritan, uh, Thomas Chalmers, how he talks about prayer. And listen to this. It's an extended quote, so hang in here with me on it. He says, prayer is one great secret of spiritual prosperity. If you want to prosper spiritually, he's saying prayer is one of the secrets of, of spiritually prospering. When there is much private communion with God, your soul will grow like the grass after rain. Don't we want to have a soul that's growing like that? He says, if there's private communion with God, your soul will grow like the grass after rain. But when there is little prayer, 
all will be at a a standstill. You will barely keep your soul alive. Show me a growing Christian, a going forward Christian, a strong Christian, a flourishing Christian. And sure am I, he is one that speaks with, with the Lord often. He asks much and he has much. He tells Jesus everything. And so he always knows how to, how to act. Prayer is the mightiest resource God has placed in our hands. And you believe that about prayer? It's the mightiest resource that God has placed into our hands. It is the best weapon to use in every difficulty and the surest remedy in every trouble. It is the key that unlocks the treasury of promises and the hand that draws forth grace and help in time of need. It is the silver trumpet God commands us to sound in all our necessity and all of our need. And it is the cry he has promised always to attend to, even as a loving mother to the voice of her child. That is prayer in the Bible. That is prayer in the life of a follower of Jesus. It is that important. It is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. Now with that said, Paul is going to tell us something important about prayer here. He's looking to the church and he's gonna tell them something about it. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter four, verse two. He looks at the church and says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Other translations say it this way, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to it. Center your life on it. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I'm going to ask four questions of this passage. Four questions. Question number one, what is prayer? Question number two, what does it mean to be devoted to prayer or to continue steadfastly in prayer? Question number three, why did Paul command this? Why does God through Paul say, do this? Why is that? And then question number four, how can we take practical steps and, you know, practical steps to move us toward that sort of devotion to prayer? So what is it? What does it mean to be devoted to it? Why and then how? So question number one, what is prayer? What is prayer? I feel like when somebody asks me that question now, my default mode is to go back into the New City Catechism. Uh, The New City Catechism is simply a question and answers. It just gives theological questions and gives good, rich, biblical, theological answers to those questions. It would be so good if you've got kids in your home, so good to be using that to train your kids theologically and to teach them theologically. But question 38 of the New City Catechism asks that question, what is prayer? And here's the answer it gives, question 38 in the New City Catechism. Answer, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Now, I love that definition because I, in particular, love that phrase, it's pouring out our hearts to God. And the reason I love that phrase is it gives us eyes to see what is the essence of prayer and why so much of the things that are, you know, is called prayer is really missing the heart of prayer and the essence of prayer. In Paul Miller's book, I'm gonna quote it a couple of times this morning, but in Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, I think he gives great insight as to the, like, what is the core element that makes prayer prayer? What, what is the essence of prayer? Here's how he says it. 
He says, prayer is the real you meeting the real God. That is a different way of saying prayer is pouring out your heart to God. It is the real you, like the, the real you deep down. It's that real you being poured out and opened up before God and the real God meeting that real you. Now contrast that, the real you meeting the real God with what so often passes as prayer for us. What we love to do is to come to God with some pretty bows tied around our life. We don't like the messy us, the caught in sin us, the, the, the struggling us, the, the emotionally unstable us. We don't like for that us, the real us, to actually come before the real God. We like to, to kind of tidy up that mess and then bring our tidied up mess before God. But prayer is not tidying up your mess and making you presentable and then bringing your presentability before God. It is the real you, the unfiltered you interacting with God. Now, now just think about if, that, if that's what prayer is, the real you meaning the real God, it's, it's us pouring out our hearts to God. If that is what prayer is, just ask yourself the question, how often are you praying? How often, you know, is what passes as prayer really prayer? This last, uh, this last summer, I read a, a biography of Charles Spurgeon. And one of the things that, that just struck me in reading that biography is the section that dealt with his private life. He is a well-known preacher, one of the best preachers in church history. That is well-known about him. But what is not as well-known is that he, and this book just made this so clear, that he is a better prayer than he was a preacher. I was just struck by that. I was surprised, but I didn't expect to find that, that he actually was a better prayer than he was a preacher. And one of the things that... Uh, that the, the biography, biographer pointed out while talking about that, and he was kind of unpacking the idea in Matthew chapter six when Jesus is teaching on prayer. And one of the things that Jesus says is, he just gives the warning, don't heap up empty phrases to God as if you heaping up empty phrases and a lot of words is going to secure for you God's hearing. Jesus says, don't do that. You don't have to pray like that. Jesus is saying that there is a difference in saying prayers and honest praying and that God is less concerned with you saying prayers and he actually wants honest praying. He wants the real you meeting the real God. And so the, the biographer was just kind of unpacking some of that. And then he made this comment. He said that many people didn't know they were heaping up empty phrases. Many people didn't know they were just saying prayers until they prayed with Spurgeon. And then in praying with him, they're realizing if, if that's prayer, if prayer is really the real, you know, him meeting the real God, if that's prayer, what I am doing is not that. So God, help me grow in that. This is one of the reasons that I love the Psalms. The Psalms give us a living witness and kind of a living model for what it looks like for the real them, the real Psalmist to meet the real God. And you see it throughout the Psalms. As you're reading the Psalms, here's one thing that you'll notice if you pay attention. There's a lot of moments where you're reading what they're praying and you start asking the question, God, is it legal to say that to you? Is it legal to pray? Are we really within the bounds to say those sort of things? And what the psalmists are showing us is God wants the real us meeting the real him. That is what prayer is. And, and then this answer in the New City Catechism gives us the forms of prayer. So if what prayer is, is us pouring out our heart to God, the real us meeting the real God, there are forms for that prayer. And here are the forms of it. Praise. Praise is thinking about who God is and then adoring and, and praising God for who he is. That, that's praise. There's petition. That is asking things of God. I was just thinking last night of the uh, uh, John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. 
when he said this, we are in prayer, we are coming to a king. So in light of that, large petitions with us bring for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Now, I love that. That is the invitation from God to take our hearts being poured out and to turn our poured out hearts into petitions, into requests of God for ourselves, for the mission of God, for, for the glory of God, for the sake of other people. It's petitions. That's one form. So praise and petition. Then it says, and confession of sin. One thing that prayer is meant to do is to open up a pathway for us to pour our heart out to God and confess our sin to God. Psalm 51 is a great example of that. Then you get to thanksgiving. So it's praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a subcategory of praise to God. Thanksgiving is taking the kindnesses of God in our life, the grace and mercy of God in our life, the favor of God in our life, the goodness of God in our life. And it's turning those moments in our life back up into thanksgiving and adoration of God. That's Thanksgiving. Those are the forms of prayer. So I think this is a good moment for us just to stop and ask the question, how is your prayer life? If you're just to rank it maybe on a one to 10 scale, how, how would you talk about the fruitfulness and effectiveness of your prayer life, the steadiness of your prayer life, the vibrancy of your prayer life? Are you having a lot of moments in your life where you're pouring your heart out to God? How's your prayer life? Question number one, what is prayer? Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Here's question number two. What does devoted to prayer mean? So the, the force of this passage is drawing us into and inviting us into not just praying, but a devotion to prayer. This is where Paul is wanting us to move into a, a life that looks like devotion to prayer. So the question is, what does that mean? Now, I think there's a lot that we could say to that, but when I cut it to its core, here's the way, that the, the way that I would kind of define that and think about what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? It's when prayer moves beyond something we occasionally do to something that defines our life. That is devotion to prayer. It's prayer moving beyond something we occasionally do to something that defines us. So being devoted to prayer means Prayer is not just a hit and miss add-on to our life. It's not something we just sort of occasionally do in our life. It's not something that we, when we, when we recall or when we think about it before we eat a, you know, a, a meal that we do. It's, it, it's no longer just that. It's no longer sort of add-on. It's no longer sort of a hit and miss thing. It's, it's the moment where prayer moves beyond that and becomes a distinguishing and defining mark of our life. It's when prayer begins to saturate our everyday life our everyday moments, our moment-by-moment -moment existence is us engaging with God. That is, that is what it means to be devoted to prayer. Now, it's interesting when you look at the New Testament, the words devoted to prayer are devoted and the word prayer oftentimes go together. So the phrase devoted to or constant in prayer are, are, are oftentimes linked in the New Testament. Let me just give you uh, several examples of this. In Acts chapter one, verse 14, this is as the disciples are waiting for the spirit of God to fall on them. In Acts one, it says, these all were with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with his brothers. 
in Acts 2, 42. If you think about Acts 2, Peter's preached a sermon. Many people have gotten saved. They're now assembled into a local church. And then here's what it says about that church. This is what they were doing. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer was a distinguishing and defining mark of what the local church did, what it, what it was doing. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, this is what the apostles say about their role in the church. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In, Acts, or in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, this is Paul to every Christian. He is encouraging them and spurring them on and inviting them in to life with Jesus. And he says, rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Saying this is what your life should look like. Re rejoicing, persevering, devoted to prayer. So one of the things that we see, and this is just a good thing for us to consider. One of the things that we see in the New Testament, as, as the New Testament links devotion you know, on one side to prayer on the other, is a life devoted to prayer, a life defined by prayer. Not just something we occasionally do, but we're defined by this thing, by, by prayer. That this sort of devotion to prayer is normative in the Christian life. The, the, the New Testament is saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what followers of Jesus are marked by, a devotion to prayer. But this is what defines their life. This is what they're doing with their life. They are talking to God because they want to get to know God. This is what it means and looks like to live as a Christian. It means to live in a way that you're devoted to prayer, defined by prayer. Now comes question three. Why did Paul command that? Why is Paul in this passage looking at us and saying, I'm looking at the church saying, be devoted to it. Yes, it's normative. And you even know that it should be normative in the life of a follower of Jesus. But now I'm looking at you and I'm taking what should be normative and I'm recalling you to that normative sort of a life. Why would he be doing that? I think this is the answer. Paul knows that our hearts, just in their default way of operating, naturally slip into self-reliance and prayerlessness. Our hearts naturally default into prayer as an occasional add-on in our life. Our hearts naturally default into prayer not as the thing that defines us, but just as a thing that we sort of do occasionally. And in light of that, Paul is taking this church that knows their life should be marked by prayer like many of us do. Right? If we were to ask you, as a Christian, should your life be defined by prayer? I think virtually everyone in here would say, you know what? It should be. But I think just like the church here, I think many of us would say, is my life defined by prayer? It's not. And so Paul, as a realistic pastor, he's not a romantic pastor. He's a realist. He knows the pull of our heart toward prayerlessness. And in light of that, he is saying to the church back then, and he's looking at Stonegate Church today, and he's saying, let me urge you and call you into something different. I know that you know this, but I know that you're probably not doing this. So let me, let me invite you and pull you and encourage you to come over here back to prayer as a thing that defines your life. Now, what is it about our hearts that make prayer so hard? Why is it that our hearts would naturally sort of slip into that prayerlessness? Why is it that many of us in the room know we should be devoted to prayer, but we're just not devoted to prayer? Why is that? I'm just going to answer that question about my own heart, a couple of things that I struggle with. And you can just begin to think about why is it hard for your heart? So I'm going to take my experience and you can glean what you want to from it. And you can just lay your life over my experience. But here are two things that make prayer really hard for me is prayer in no way, shape, or form 
does it feed my fleshly desires? Prayer does not feed our fleshly desires. Now think about what the flesh is in the Bible. The flesh can be a way of talking about like your skin and bones, like like how we would kind of commonly think of flesh. But more often in the Bible, the word flesh is used to describe that old sinful man that even after we have been redeemed by Jesus still remains in our life. It's that old sinful part of us that's at war with God, that until Jesus returns or we die and meet Jesus, So one of those two things happen that we're constantly dealing with in our life, that we're constantly fighting against in our life. We're trying to put that flesh to death in us. But one of the things that makes prayer really hard for us is it doesn't gratify our flesh. I was thinking this week about why is it that I, unlike Spurgeon, am a better preacher than I am a prayer. And and, in saying that, the Lord has just begun to grieve my heart for that because that shouldn't be true of me. But why is it that I am better at preaching than I am of praying? Like, why is it that I'm better like in front of people than I am alone with God in the way that I would talk to God? Why is it that I'm better talking about God than to God? Why is that? And, and here's one of the reasons for that. Preaching, unlike prayer, has a way of stroking that, that want for self-glory in my life. Think about what prayer is. Prayer in your closet where no one can see does not gratify any of your fleshly desires. It does not gratify any of those longings to be a somebody before people, for people to like you, for people to think you're something. It gratifies none of those things. We're preaching in front of people. And listen, I can slip into this without even knowing I'm in it. Preaching can be a means for me to grab glory, not give God glory. It has a way of stroking that flesh and, and, and allowing me to get that flesh in me gratified, right? But prayer, on the other hand, here's what prayer always feels like to me. It always feels like a mechanism to kill the flesh in me. And if I'm honest, sometimes I don't like that. But one of the things that makes prayer hard is because it's that. It doesn't gratify the flesh. It actually is a means of killing the flesh in me. So, it, it, you know, when I think about prayer and, and the flesh, my flesh is at war with prayer. It doesn't want me to pray. It doesn't like it when I pray. It requires a putting to death of that old me for me to pray. So this is one of the reasons that prayer is hard for me. Here's another reason though, is that prayer never feels most important in my life. It never, very seldom have ever does prayer feel most important. And because prayer doesn't feel most important, I oftentimes neglect it for what I do feel like is most important in this moment. Now, you just lay your own experience beside mine, but I'll just tell you what it feels like for me to wake up seven days a week. Every day when I wake up, this is what it feels like. There is a never-ending to-do list that is breathing down my neck. It's, you gotta get this done, you gotta get that done. That person's waiting on this, this person's waiting on that. There's that thing, there's this thing. You gotta make that decision, you gotta respond to this question. There's just that never-ending to-do list that never stops. Is that your life or is it just mine? Is it all of us? I'm gonna feel really weird if it's just me. I think that's probably most of us though. The never ending to-do list just has a way of suffocating us. I can totally relate to C.S. Lewis when he says, when he woke up every day, here's what it felt like. The thoughts of that day came rushing upon him like a pack of wild animals. That's what my days feel like when I wake up. It's just the never ending grind. And here's what I'm so prone to thinking that the most important thing I can do is to get the never ending to do this breathing down my neck and to start chipping away at that thing. But do you know what I am slowly, and it's slowly, 
what I'm slowly but surely coming to realize is that prayer work is my most important work. It's more important than my pastoral work. It's more important than my work as a husband. It's more important than my parenting work that prayer work is really the most important work that I do. It's the most important job that the Lord has given me. It's the most important thing I can do in any particular day is the prayer work. Now, maybe we all just need to begin to ask the Lord to convince us of that. I need to be convinced of that every day of my life. As the pack of wild animals comes breathing down my neck, I need to be convinced prayer work is really the most important work that I do. I was reminded this week of a quote by an old pastor, Samuel Chadwick. In his book, The Path of Prayer, he says it this way. It takes us long to learn, and that it does. It takes us long to learn that prayer is more important than organization, that prayer is more powerful than armies, that prayer is more influential than wealth and mightier than all learning. I I just think we need to ask the Lord to help us believe that. That prayer really is that important. If prayer is talking to God, if prayer is that, and, and God is the one who has created and is sustaining everything that we see, then prayer is the most important thing in our life. There could be nothing more important than prayer when you woke up this morning because prayer is the way that you're getting to know that God. And prayer, you know, God loves to respond to our praying, to do things with our praying. In light of that, there's just nothing more important in your life and my life than prayer work. So here's question number four and where we'll just kind of finish with our time this morning. How can we take steps toward devotion in prayer? What are some practical steps that we can take? Here's the thing about prayer. You are not going to stumble into a good prayer life. We all, we, you know that, right? It's not, you're not just gonna wake up and magically someday arrive at devotion to prayer. It's going to take dying to self and discipline, dying to self and planning, dying to self and, and putting this into your day. So it's gonna take consistent intentional work to do this, right? So what would some, what would some steps be for us to move in that direction? I'm gonna give you five things but I wanna clarify, the most important thing is not that you adopt these five things. The most important thing is that you would have five things, that you would listen to the Lord and you would heed this, this command that he's giving us to be devoted in prayer and that you would figure out in your life, what does it mean for you to take steps in that direction? That would be a great home group discussion question this week. What are the four, three, four, five things I'm gonna to do to set this in motion in my life? Let me give you five. Number one, and I think this is the starting place for it. We need to repent of self-reliance, to repent of self-reliance. It's important, like if you're recognizing this morning that, that there is a theme of prayerlessness in your life, that you're not praying like you would want to be praying, as consistently, as fervently, as vibrantly as you would wanna pray. It's important that you don't just think, I'm not praying like I would wanna pray. It's important that you get down underneath that thought and ask the question, well, why am I not vibrant in prayer? Why am I not consistent? And, and uh, you know, why is prayer not defining my life? Why is that? And the answer to that question deals with self-reliance. Self-reliance and prayerfulness work in an inverse way. When you are self-reliant, you are prayerless. When you are experiencing dependency upon God, you are prayerful. And anytime you're looking at your life and seeing prayerlessness, it is showing you that there is a, there is a, one-to-one connection to self-reliance in your life. 
It's showing you that, that what that prayer list is connected to is a heart that's looking at your life and saying, do you really know what I need to make my life work, to make today go? Do you know what I need? I need for me to get about doing the work of it. That is the heart and disposition of the heart that is prayerless. On the other hand, the heart that is prayerful, here's the disposition. I can do nothing of lasting value today apart from the grace, mercy, and power of God. So what better thing can I do than pray? That dependency leads to prayerfulness. So it starts there with, with dealing with self-reliance, you know, repenting of self-reliance. I love what Paul Miller says in his book, A Praying Life. He says, there is a common misconception people have when it comes to growing in their prayer life. Here's the common misconception. What I really need to do is to be more disciplined. Is there a place for discipline? Yes, there is a place for discipline in growing in our prayer. Is it the main thing? It is not the main thing. Paul Miller goes on to say, Here, here's what you really need. It's not discipline. What you really need is to be poor in spirit. What you really need to grow in your prayer life is to know your need. You have to know your need before you're ever going to pray in a devoted, defining sort of a way. We have to know our need. We have to know that there is nothing in our life that's going to be accomplished that has any lasting value apart from the grace, mercy, and power of God. We have to repent of self-reliance. Number two, we have to do something as unspiritual as scheduling it. I just scheduling it. I just putting it on your calendar. That is, that is a great step toward growing in your prayer life is to put it on your calendar. Something as, as basic as that. Now, I want you to think real quickly about the two kind of ways that prayer kind of plays out in the life of a believer and a follower of Jesus. One, you might call casual conversation. This is the kind of like praying without ceasing sort of a theme that you get in the scriptures. So that's the, the ongoing kind of conversational sort of a way of you're constantly kind of thinking about God as you're doing your life. There is another way, if that's casual conversation, there is another form of prayer that you might call concentrated conversation. This is not the pray without ceasing sort of a theme. This is Jesus getting up early in the morning before everybody else gets up and it's him going into his closet and it's him praying to God, his father. It's that sort of like intentional conversational time with the Lord. And, and here's how I think the two work together. I think if you want to practice a good conversational, like casual conversational prayer life, that is rooted in concentrated conversation. It's when we schedule and do concentrated conversation with the Lord, a casual conversation then flows out of that, that concentrated conversation. See how that works? But it's that concentrated conversation. It's scheduling it. It's putting it into your days that then leads to a vibrant, casual conversation where you're constantly dealing with the Lord in your everyday life. Now, when you're thinking about scheduling it, I just wanna encourage you to think about your mornings and your evenings. When you wake up and when you go to bed, these are two things that every devotional life on prayer or every devotional book on prayer is going to point to. How you start your day and how you end your day. Your thoughts are gonna come upon you like a pack of wild animals. And we have to like recalibrate our soul every morning to our most important work is engaging with the Lord. And then you have your evenings. Um, years ago, I read a book by David Wilkerson and the book was called uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. And I'll never forget one paragraph that I, that I read in that book, or maybe it was a, probably a page and a half and it was all said and done. But he talked about this growing conviction that he had that his normal way of winding down in the evening was kind of an hour of TV and just kind of vegging out before he went to sleep. 
just kind of numbing himself to the aches of the day by doing nothing. And then he'd fall asleep, you know? How, probably how many of us tend to kind of do our evening kind of activities. And he said, I, just, I have just like a piercing conviction from the Lord that that is not a good way to end the day. So rather than spending that last hour watching the TV, I chose to spend that last hour in prayer. And then something miraculous happened. The Lord gave him a vision of some young teenage boys in inner city, New York City. And it was connected then. The next day he gets up and reads this Time Magazine article of inner city teenage boys struggling in inner city New York. And the next thing he knows, he has left his kind of stable church environment that he's pastoring in. He moves to New York and he becomes a pastor. And he kind of is doing this inner city, uh, you know, young teenage boy thing there. And that ends up becoming a church called Times Square Church that God just blows the doors off of. But if you trace what became Times Square Church, that was all directly kind of, the the line came all the way back to, I'm not going to end my days by vegging out. I'm going to end my days by communing with God. And then God leads to all of those beautiful things after that. And I just wonder how much more fruitful and enjoyable God would be to us if we would just set aside time like that to hear from him, to do those sort of things. So, So point number two is we have to schedule it. Point number three, kind of step number three that we can take. Is, and this is just gonna be super simple, but it's just to take every need in your life and to begin asking the Lord. To take every, every moment that you experience need and just start asking God, just talking to God through, through petitioning him. One of my favorite chapters on prayer in the Bible is Mark chapter 10. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus. And in that story, if you remember it, Jesus is walking down the road. Bartimaeus is calling to Jesus. The disciples are trying to push Bartimaeus away from Jesus. And Jesus stops and says, Bartimaeus, you come over here. And Bartimaeus gets there. And do you remember the question that Jesus asked him in Mark chapter 10? This is verse 51. It says, Jesus said to him, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you, are, if you are a son or daughter of God in the room, this is just such a big moment for us this morning. Can you this morning imagine God as a good dad looking at you as his son or as his daughter and saying, right now in your life, what do you need me to do for you? What would you like for me to do for you? What, what do you want right now? Can I just say that is God's heart for us? This is what God is pulling us into is us engaging with him like that, us offering our petitions to him that way. If you're a son or daughter of God, God's heart for you this morning, he is looking at you and he is saying, what, what is it that you'd like for me to do for you? What, what is it that you need? You know, Paul Miller, Praying Life, when he distills the teaching of Jesus down into one word, you know the one word he distills the teaching of Jesus down into on prayer? It's the one word, ask. Just start asking like a child would to his dad, whatever it is that you need. Just ask. Now, if that asking, if that is like asking in faith, if this is the road that the Bible would lead us to to jump on when it comes to prayer, there's ditches to that road. We cannot ask, that's one ditch. 
On the other side, we can selfishly ask. That's another ditch. So we want to get on the road of asking in faith, asking big, audacious things from God. But we, can, we need to be aware of the ditch of not asking and then asking selfishly. Now, when I have asked people, what ditch do you think you fall into? If you're not asking audacious things from God, big things from God, what ditch do you fall into? Virtually to the T, every person I've asked that to says they are falling into the ditch of just not asking. Now, it just is led for me to have a growing conviction that I think many of us right now in our lives are doing without things in our life simply because we are not asking God for them. I mean, just think about this in your own life. Just imagine the things that you could be missing on right now just because God is sitting there looking at you saying, I just want you to ask. That's my heart. I want you to ask. And when you ask me, I would love to bestow these good gifts. I would love to do that. But just ask me. I'll do that for you. I just wonder how much we are missing because we don't ask. Do you remember how that story with blind Bartimaeus ends? He comes to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want? What do you want, Bartimaeus? Tell me what you need. And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. That's what I need. And do you know what he goes home doing that day? Seeing. He goes home seeing. Now let that moment pull your heart out of that cynical place that says, man, I can pray all day, but God doesn't care. He's not listening to me. He doesn't want to. No, he does. And when we ask so often, he will give us miracles that we'll never see and experience in our life if we don't ask him. So let's be a people who ask. Just take every moment of your life where you're experiencing an ache or a need and turn those into petition to God. Ask him. Number four. Keep prayer connected to scripture. When you think about prayer and scripture, here's the way that I would want you to connect those. You need to consider prayer and scripture as married together. They just go hand in hand together. Prayer should be the natural outlet of Bible reading and scripture memory. It should be the natural outlet for that. I love how Joel Beek says it. He says, when you read the Bible, do so with the intent to respond to God in secret prayer. Every time you read the Bible, every time you're thinking upon a passage, anytime you're memorizing the scriptures, use that moment of reading and don't stop there. Turn that into prayer to God. Let the the scriptures take you into prayer. So this last week, I'm in the Bible reading plan in our Old Testament portion of our Bible reading plan that I'd encourage you to get on if you're not on one. We were in 1 Samuel. And there's this moment in... um, the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, where I saw something that just grieved my heart. Eli and Samuel are two of the main kind of people in the first few chapters of 1 Samuel. And they're both men of God. But you know what's ironic in the first eight chapters? Their sons, both Eli's sons and Samuel's sons, don't follow in the ways of their dad. Rather, they are rebellious against the Lord. And it just broke my heart in that moment. And I just remember in that moment thinking, oh God, who who are the dads, the moms and dads, the parents that I know right now with kids in my life that that I know? And God, I just want to pray for their kids that they wouldn't go the way of Eli and Samuel's sons, but they would go in the way of of their mom and dad's faith. That, That somewhere along the way, that faith would be transferred into those kids and they would have this rich, vibrant, open and, and robust, rich relationship with the Lord. That's what scripture reading is meant to do. It's meant to take our hearts, we're learning something, and then we apply that in prayer to God. We have to keep prayer and the reading of scripture connected. And lastly, and we'll end here. Number five, pray with people. Pray with people. 
praying in secret by yourself is a wonderful thing. But there is an assumption in the Bible that we are not just going to pray in secret, but we are going to get together with other followers of Jesus and we're going to pray with people. I, I, uh, pr- this has been probably two years ago. I called a pastor friend of mine and we were trying to set up a time to grab lunch or something. And I, I threw out a couple of dates and he looked at one. He said, oh, I'd love to do that date. But man, I've got um, a meeting with the guy. I scheduled a meeting to, to pray with that guy for an hour. And it just struck me when he said it. He's like, dang, it's like that guy's a pastor or something, man. He's actually scheduling a time to pray with that dude for an hour. And I'm just looking at my life thinking, I don't schedule hours to pray with people like that. And that's a shame. I mean, it's just a moment of the Lord convicting me and kind of a subtle moment in that conversation of like, yeah, I should probably do a lot more of that sort of work in my life, just gathering with people for the purpose of praying with them. It reminded me of David Brainerd. In, in church history, David Brainerd is one of what I would just call the models of like what it means to be devoted to prayer. He's one of the models for that in church history. And in his journal, I, I wanna actually just read five or six entries in his journal that illustrate this. And I want you just to kind of listen to what he journals and, and just the connection of him praying with people. Part of his vibrancy in prayer was that he actually scheduled time to pray often with other people. Listen to how it goes. September 10th, 1742. In the afternoon, I prayed with a dear friend privately and had the presence of God with us. Our souls united together to reach after a blessed immortality. He's saying, when I prayed with that dude, I mean, my heart just like reached out for heaven in the middle of praying with him. December 11th, 1742, I rode to Bethlehem, came to Mr. Bellamy's lodgings and spent the evening with him in sweet conversation and prayer. December 23rd, 1742. These are all just kind of cram pack in the normal kind of course of a few months. I rode to New Haven and there enjoyed some sweetness in prayer and conversation with some dear Christian friends. In the middle of that, my mind was sweetly serious and composed. December 26, three days later, 1742. In the evening, I rode from New Haven to Brantford after I had kneeled and prayed with a number of dear Christian friends in a very retired place in the woods. This is just a normal pattern in his life. February 17, you know, a couple of months later, 1743. In the evening, I spent some time with a dear Christian friend and felt serious as on the brink of eternity. I prayed with some friends and then it just did something to my soul by praying with them that is unique to praying with people. And my soul, it was like in that moment, my soul was literally just looking in at eternity right there in the moment. He said, my soul enjoyed sweetness and lively apprehensions of standing before the glorious God. I prayed with my dear friend with sweetness and discoursed with the utmost seriousness. And truly, he says, in doing this and praying with this person, and truly it was a little emblem of heaven itself. March 19, 1743. In the afternoon, I rode to Newark and had some sweetness in conversation with Mr. Burr. And in praying together, oh, blessed be God forever and ever for any enlivening and quickening in that season. Say, man, I prayed with this man and my heart just came alive to God. It's interesting in the Bible. I think of like the Lord's teaching in uh, the Lord's prayer. It doesn't say, hey, you know, when you pray, pray like this. My father, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, when you get together, pray like this. 
our Father. Now, why is it saying that? There is a natural assumption that you're not just gonna be praying privately in your closet, like just you and God alone, but that we together as a church family are going to be praying together often. It's gonna be a normal thing that we do. If you wanna grow in your prayer life, schedule not just your times of private communion, but just one time this month, schedule one moment where you're gonna get together with someone else for the purpose of praying. Now, I want to just have a, a moment of confessing some things to you as a pastor, and we're, we're done. I feel like as, as just one of your pastors here, I have done a poor job of cultivating this sort of devotion to prayer in our church. Over the, the course of the last several months, the Lord has just put an increasing sort of a burden and conviction in my heart for that. And first of all, I just want to confess that to you and apologize and say I'm sorry for that 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 is wrong and that grieves the heart of God for our church. And I think the Lord would want us as a corporate body to take steps forward in what it looks like for us to be a church that's devoted to prayer. I just don't think we do enough corporate praying together. And so in light of that, I wanna encourage you towards three things that we're trying to make sure that we put into place and that we have kind of as a, you know, ongoing things in our church to help us in this. And here is one that I want you to be aware of. Every Sunday morning, right back here at this table, just right there at the edge of the room, that is a prayer table. If you come in hurting and grieving, life just is hard for you. There are things in your life that you need prayer for. Maybe it's a physical thing that you need healing for. Man, we want to pray for you as a church family. So one way that we can grow in doing this together is by you taking advantage of that. Every moment we're gonna, every morning we're gonna have a moment where we respond to the Lord together. And as we respond to the Lord together, it would be a very natural thing for you to be able to walk over to that table to express a need and to pray together with one of our pastors or one of our staff guides or one of the people on our prayer team over there. We want you to do that. Secondly, on Friday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m., we're just gonna start designating that hour every single week where we're gonna get together. You're invited that anyone who wants to come, you're invited to coming and praying with us. We're gonna meet up in our office at the church. If you would like to come, meet us there. We're gonna open up the Bible. We're gonna read it. And then we're gonna pray what we just read um, for, for the sake of God's name and his mission for our church, for people individually in our church. So if you wanna jump in on that, starting this Friday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., we're doing that every single week. Every Friday morning, we're gonna be on for that. And then I want just to make you aware that in October, we're gonna take a week of, and do just kind of a week of prayer. We're gonna put some things out on the land. We're gonna kind of do that out there and encourage every person in our church family to come every day that week. And let's, let's pray together and ask God to work for this good of our church family in our church family. So we want to grow in this. Do you wanna grow in this? Man, I want us to grow into devotion and prayer. I want the Lord to do some things in our church family that only God could take credit for. And this is one of them, that we would grow in our devotion to prayer. So will you pray with me? And this is the moment in our gathering every week where we get to respond to God. And I'm just asking that the Spirit would settle into your heart the things that you would need this morning and to wipe away the things that you don't need. And You know, I was just thinking this week about how important the good news of Jesus is as we think about prayer. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus isn't just the way that we enter the kingdom, it's the way that we grow 
And that is also true of our prayer life. You know, I love how uh, one old theologian talked about prayer. He said that, here's what prayer is. Here's the imagery I would give you. He said that prayer is crawling up into your father's lap and whispering in his ear. And the good news of Jesus shows us that God really is a daddy and that we're really his sons and daughters. And we have, as his sons and daughters, the unique privilege of crawling up into his lap whenever we want and talking to him. And the good news of Jesus shows us that God is not a distant father to us. He's not a father who doesn't have time for us. He is a father who loves it, absolutely loved it. His heart leaps for joy in every moment where his sons, his daughters, crawl up into his lap. His heart to us in that moment is, what what could I do for you? How could I help you? And his his, his heart, his fatherly heart leaps for joy as we begin to, to just open up our heart to him and to talk to him. As we begin to praise him, as we begin to make our petitions and request to him, as we confess our sin to him, as we offer thanksgiving to him for all the wonderful things that he is up to in our life. His heart just loves that. And so God, would you now in this moment convince us that because of Jesus and his life, death and resurrection, that the doorway to your heart has been opened. Would you really convince us that your heart right now, regardless of how ugly we are, how messy our lives are, that your heart leaps for joy as we crawl up into your lap and talk to you? Oh God, would you make us a church and a people who are devoted to prayer? Not just something we occasionally do, but something we're defined by. Oh God, would you do this? It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.